0: Awesome. Well, great. Good morning once again. If I happened to miss you earlier, my name is Wayne. of the pastor here at Downtown Community, and we are in week two of a conversation that we're calling To Life, and, and you're invited into uh, this relationship with Christ, not to a religion or to an exercise, but to a relationship. And I hope in this series that I point you in that way, and I want you to discover the depth of life that God has called us to live and to experience. And and sometimes when you hear what we we hear about the Christian faith, it it maybe pulls, we want to pull away from that. And so we want to just go back to what God has called us to and look at that together. And so last week we began, and we um, we talked about that. And the words of Jesus and the life that it brought. And so, uh, you know, we find in John sixteen thirty three in John's written account of Jesus' life, he, Jesus said, I have told you these things so that in me you may have peace. In this world you will have trouble, but take heart, I have overcome the world. Jesus didn't come to promise us this incredible life and everything would go perfectly. No, he didn't at all. He said, you will have trouble But he came to bring us hope that no matter what in all things, that we can have peace. And he showed us that we've been made to be eternal, that God exists, and that he loves us, and he's pursuing us, and we can always come back to him. And he was showing us that there is a better way to live. And so this journey that God has called us to and his story with us is showing us this life-giving way to live. And so his pursuit of us is calling us to the best way. Towards life. And so then we see this early church, these Christ followers that begin to, to, to start and to, and to explode all over the Greco Roman world after Jesus' death and his resurrection. And he ascended, we believe he ascended into heaven and he sent us out. And we see them living this out. And, and they would call them and they would, they would write letters and they would say things like this. And in Philippians 2 3 through 4, it says, Do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit, rather in humility. Value others above yourselves, not looking to your own interest, but each of you to the interest of others. And there was this value that began to be lived out, and it it changed the world. It baffled them in an incredibly hard time. Like we think about the world we're in right now. We're watching wars. We're watching chaos, and we're watching it increase. And it's like how how do you live in that time? Well, this was the kind of world that they were in in almost a much, much worse way. And they, 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 they baffled that world, and they loved people well, and it changed the ethic. Where did that come from? Well, they were living out the character of God. And so this, this relationship that we call Christianity now was really them living out the characteristics of God and becoming like Him, and that's really what it is. And so to live this way, to live the Christian life, is really to experience the character of God and who he is. And he longs for us to have that as well. And it's an invitation to life, to life. And so we proclaim this treasure that we have found. And, in the, and we read these early scriptures, they, they, they are going through suffering, they're being persecuted, their lives were hard, and they talked about, we found this treasure, and it's, and it's in these jars of clay, like our lives are very fragile, and not very amazing, but we have in our lives this incredible treasure. And the Apostle Paul writes this, this is found in the message paraphrase, but he says, may what our master Jesus Christ gives freely be deeply and personally yours. And so that's what this invitation is about. And I want to invite you as you maybe are pursuing God into that relationship. Of those of you who are Christ followers today I want to call you back to that. To experience that. This summer my family and I, we were on vacation and we went to a theme park. We went to an amusement park. And you know whenever you go to an amusement park you buy your tickets and Generally, your ticket gets you access to everything, right? You can go ride the ride. You walk in past the gates, and then you're good. But it's, there's always something more, right? So you, you have that ticket, and you get to do things. But when I was booking this place, you know, there's these add-ons that you can do because there's other things. And so one of those was, I forget what they call it, but their version of, like, the free pass or the skip the line, skip to the head of the line thing. And so I could pay more to get us ahead of the lines. And so I looked at it. And I decided, you know, just based on the circumstances, the value didn't match. Now, I could have done it, not trying to be a cheapskate, but just the value didn't match it. And so we get there, and we're having a blast, and eventually we get in, into a line for this big ride. It's one of the bigger ones in the park. And we're waiting there for a little bit, and we turn the corner of the line, and then we see a sign that says, uh, expect a one-hour wait from this point. And, I'll, you know, you guys know what I'm talking about, right? So it ended up being an hour and a half, just so you know. <laughs> and so we're talking. We're like, man, is this worth it? And, and so, and, and it interesting, this was a line that had the fast pass, whatever, with it. But there was a third option where you could go on this other line. And it would, the, the ride was set up to where there would be two or three people, depending on how many were in your party, and it was weight distributed and all this crazy stuff, and so you could get sneak on an extra rider for parties of two, and so you could be in a single line, and your party be broken up, but you might get on faster. But they didn't guarantee it. So we were like, we we're debating this because we hate waiting, and it's crazy the the way that you feel sitting in a line like this. And so we, I sent a scout, so a couple of our kids went ahead to check it out, and they looked and they came back. They go, we think it's faster. We looked at it. We checked out the circumstances. So we were like, okay. We decided to take the leap and go on this little extra thing. And we still had to wait a long time. But as we got closer, we saw the other entrance where people had paid for these passes, were getting up, and they're cutting the line, essentially. And they're, they're causing this to be so long. And this whole sense of injustice was building in the line. It was so funny. and And, you know... But I'm watching this, and in that moment, I was like, I'm a bad dad. I should have bought the passes. And, but our kids were fine. They're like, Dad, we're good. We're fine. And they, and like, and we were. But in hindsight, it was just that one ride. We did it, and we had all day. We did everything we wanted to. We were fine. But, you know, in hindsight, I made the right decision. (laughs) But it's so funny. In the moment, I was like, oh, I should have paid the money. But we love that idea. Like, you want that pass. Like, hall pass in, in middle school or high school. Like, you're a teacher, I got to go to the bathroom, right? And then you got this golden ticket. And you're walking the hallways. You're like, I can go anywhere I want to. And you just take your time. Like, you know, you suddenly had to go, but now, like, you got all the time in the world because I've got the golden ticket. We just, we love the idea of the all inclusive resort where the answer is always. Yes, you can do this. There's no barrier. So I want to take that idea, because we love that, i I want to connect that to God. So today, as we continue forward, I want to, I want to, I want to take the leap from religion to relationship. Because we, we view just in our natural habits and our natural inclinations is to always kind of drift to religion and to the, the things that you do to get to God. In God's pursuit, there is there are things that we do with him that he was always pointing us to relationship, and so I want to I help us make that leap today from religion to relationship because this is so important in our understanding of God, and so I'm going to take us to a specific place where Jesus was engaging a huge audience, a huge crowd of people that were following him, and he was teaching them. And, and he was giving this whole discourse, and it was really long, and it's now we've now over time called it the Sermon on the Mount. He's in a place called the Mount of Olives in Israel, which is now really Jerusalem. And he was standing there teaching. And he was teaching to a very religious audience that wanted to get to God, that believed in him. So it was an audience that wanted to love God, they believed in him, and they were pursuing them, and they wanted to know more. But, but this was something different. The way that Jesus taught and what he said was way different than anything they had ever encountered. John, in his written account of Jesus' life, says it this way. John 1.4 says, he says, In him was life, and that life was the light of all mankind. Jesus wasn't just a good teacher. He was revealing God. He was revealing the Father, his heart. Jesus' name was called Emmanuel. When we get into the Christmas season, you hear that word a lot. It means God with us. He was revealing God. And so he began to teach, and it's found in Matthew 5, this whole discourse. And it begins with what we now call the Beatitude. So maybe you, you maybe not have grown up in church and 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 but maybe you've heard of the beatitudes and he began to say these phrases that were just blowing the people's minds he would say blessed are the poor in spirit blessed are those who suffer blessed are those who were meek because they will be comforted they will experience these these different things and it was a call to a depth of life that was opposite of what we would typically engage He was beginning to reveal a a better way, a deeper way to live. And he eventually says this one. This is one of the last of the Beatitudes. We're not going to cover the Beatitudes today, but this is what he started with. But he would say, blessed are you when people insult you, persecute you, and falsely say all kinds of evil against you because of me. Rejoice and be glad. Well, that's crazy. (laughs) Because great is your reward in heaven. For in the same way, they persecuted the prophets, prophets who were before you. And so this was when he was beginning to engage with them. You know, blessed are those who mourn is one of the things that he said. For you will be comforted. That word blessed in, in the translation from the Greek, it means really happy. And so when they were, when they were hearing this, it was, it was something like they had never heard before. So it was really interesting. So there are five things that we see here. I just want to help set up what Jesus is saying because he began to go into things that, that were like, wow. So he, number one is he was speaking to people who had been taught about the law, which is the law of God, which we know mainly as the Ten Commandments. God had given them the the Israelites' instructions from the beginning, and it was him beginning to pursue them and lead them to life. Last fall, a year ago, we did a series about the Ten Commandments. What are they? Well, they were really instructions to bring people to life and away from things that would lead to their destruction. And so they were in this culture and had been highly educated in what we call the law. They would hear about it all the time. And so it was something to point them to good. But it posed a problem for them because no one could always keep it up. They couldn't do it. Like the same is true for us. Whatever rule you set for yourself, you can't even follow your own standards. And the same was true of them. And God knew this. The second thing is God knew that, and he made a way for restoration, a way for them to be, to come back to God, to be forgiven, and to, and to confess But it always involved a sacrifice. It showed them that there was death involved with our sin, with our brokenness. But he still made a way for them to be restored. But it was all pointing to a relationship with God. It was to point them to the one who made them, who was the best thing that they could pursue, to beauty. And it was pointing them to life. It was the whole point was to bring them to God. He was pursuing them. But they instead, and we do the same today, they made it about themselves. That's the fourth thing we see in this this whole journey. They just made it about themselves. So they begin to focus on the system of what they had to do and not the relationship. So their whole status with one another began to be like, well, I did this, or I kept it so good, and I... You know, it was just about the ritual and the systems. Now, we all naturally do this. We just want to drift towards what seems easier, like what can I do and I'm okay. But they, it made them to focus on themselves and completely moved away from the original purpose. But the law and all of this, the fifth thing here is it was pointing them towards a future solution in Jesus. The law wasn't enough. It just showed them they, that they couldn't keep it. And so, why say all this? Well, it's important to know this kind of this background, because this was leading up to this moment that Jesus came to fulfill this and begin to lead this forward. He was stepping into the story. There's several places where God is leading us in our story and moving us forward, and all of this was focused towards Christ, and here he was, God incarnate, God with us, teaching. And so then... Jesus, in teaching on the Sermon on the Mount, begins to move forward, and he says this. This is found in Matthew 5, verse 17. He says, Do not think that I have come to abolish the law or the prophets. I have not come to abolish them, but to fulfill them. You can keep it there. I've, I've emphasized the word fulfill. Some were accusing him of not wanting to do this, and they were all about the law. Like they were because of all this, they were rules conscious society. But he was making a massive statement here. He's like, I didn't come to, to do away with it. I actually came to fulfill it. And what we now know is he's the only one who could. None of us can ever keep be perfect. He was the only one who could. So he was making this massive announcement. This would have been like insane to say. And so out of that, he continues. He says, for truly I tell you, until heaven and on earth disappear, not the smallest letter, not the least stroke of a pen will by any means disappear from the law until everything is accomplished. It, It shows this purposeful pursuit of God, that he has a plan. A good plan he goes therefore anyone who sets aside one of the least of these commands and teaches others accordingly will be called least in the kingdom of heaven but whoever practices and teaches these commands will be called great in the kingdom of heaven now this would have piqued their ears because they wanted to be good they wanted to be great but he was like you know if you can't keep it then you're the least But he was beginning to set this standard that was completely impossible to keep. So he says that, and they would have maybe leaned in a little bit, and then he drops this bomb. Matthew 5.20, he says this, For I tell you that unless your righteousness surpasses that of the Pharisees and the teachers of the law, you will certainly not enter the kingdom of heaven. Okay, so who were the Pharisees and the teachers of the law? Well, these were like the religious people who, were, who spent their whole lives training to memorize the law and, and to teach it, and so they were the keepers of it. And so they were kind of the top of that whole religious system. And in their culture, in their time, they were really you know dogmatic about making sure people knew how good they were at keeping the law, which Jesus eventually exposes in this dialogue, which is fascinating. And so here they are trying to... Be good and be okay with God, and they they have this desire to pursue Him. And then Jesus says, "Hey, unless your goodness surpasses that of these, you will not enter the kingdom of heaven." That's for them. That's like a huge like tension. Like they'd be like, "No way!" So there's something really interesting that god was beginning to show here so there's two things here matthew 5 that just to know and think about one is he was engaging them he was beginning to pull them towards the internal not the external because the pharisees that they would have seen were always showing them outwardly how good they were at keeping the law but jesus is like that means nothing it's all for show he was calling them to their heart, to, to that relationship. But the second thing is this. This is impossible. Absolutely, 100% impossible. A standard that no one could keep. So it's really interesting. He's calling to something that is impossible. And then he goes into this. He begins to raise the bar on what they think the law meant. So in the Ten Commandments, we have what we call, one of them says, you know, Don't murder. And so he begins to call them to these things they hear about. And there's an oral culture of the law that they would hear, and so he would reference that as well. So he he begins to explain this through several examples. So Matthew continues in verse 21. He says, You have heard that it was said to the people long ago, You shall not murder, and anyone who murders will be subject to judgment. So they're like, yeah, yeah, we know that one. I'm good there. I haven't murdered anybody yet. And then he says this, but I tell you that anyone who is angry with a brother or sister will be subject to judgment. <laughs> and they'll have been like, what? Like, that just, like, made it really different. We call this, where like, Jesus raised the bar so high. Like, no one could keep that. I've got three sisters. Like We don't live anywhere near each other, and we still find a way to annoy each other and get mad at one another. There's a group chat I cannot get out of. <laughs> My mom has this amazing way of just keeping it like, I can't leave it. It's like they've conspired, one person anyway. You guys know what I'm talking about. So if you're laughing, that probably means that you just don't invent this bill. he just, he goes on and on through these examples through, through adultery and divorce. And he, I mean, he hits all these really sensitive subjects that they cared about. So they're all like, they're all in. And then he gets into this one. This is verse 43. There's a lot. I'm skipping through. He says, you have heard it said, that it was said, love your neighbor and hate your enemy. And this is, uh, awesome. like, this is fascinating because this begins to show who God is and his heart for us and just a different ethic. He says, but I tell you, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you, that you may be children of your Father in heaven. So he's saying this is who God is. He'll be children of your Father. He is someone who is pursuing the enemies. Love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you. That's who God is like. And thank God that he came to us in our brokenness. He didn't leave us there in our rejection of him. That's who he is. Like, did you take that right now and put that in our world? Our world does not know how to do this. We only know how to hate one another. Like, that's very real right now. And we need a people that can begin to live this out. It's, that's not easy to do. How, what in the world causes us to do this? And that was certainly not the culture at the time. This is amazing. He says, he continues, he says, God causes our father, he's talking about, causes his son to rise on the evil and the good and sends the rain on the righteous and the unrighteous. If you love those who love you, what reward will you get?" Are you not even, he says, he says, are not even the tax collectors doing that? And so a fascinating thing in the culture, and you see this in the Gospels, the written accounts of Jesus' life, like, they really, really despise tax collectors. And we don't like giving our taxes away. That's, you know, we don't, anyway. Yeah, we don't like doing that even now. But that system was this crazy system where the Roman government had to get their taxes and they, they had to get a lot. And so they put somebody over a region and that person would put somebody over a certain section and then that person would put many people over this neighborhood and they would just you know keep adding people and then they would get what they're... And they didn't care how they got it as long as they brought this back. And it just... All those layers created a huge amount of corruption. People hated it. He's like, He's like... So Jesus is like... Don't even they do that? Like, they treat people they know and like, they treat the other collectors well. Like, that's a pretty low bar. Like, anybody can do this. It's like, if you love those who love you, what reward do you get? Like, then he says, if you greet only your own people, what are you doing more than others? Don't even the pagans do that? And then he just says this other statement, just like Matthew 5.20, and he says this, Matthew 5.48, he says, Be perfect, therefore, as your heavenly Father is perfect. Okay. Like that just goes back to this. Jesus didn't let up. He started with, I've come, I haven't come to do away with the law. I've come to fulfill it. So he's like, this is what it really looks like. You've got to exceed those that are doing really good, and then you've got to be perfect like your Heavenly Father is perfect. But what's, what's happening is he was, he's really calling them to that relationship. And it seems strange to hear this, but we hear a phrase like that, and we're like, I'm out. I can't be perfect. But that was Jesus' whole point how do you do that and so he began to show them through the example of these these Pharisees so they were the ones that represented people trying to to, like they're the top of the people who were trying to follow the law and he begins to take them as an example and no doubt they were there watching Jesus listening to this and show them how impossible this is so this is where he continues this is found in Matthew 6 so he says this, Be careful not to practice your righteousness in front of others, to be seen by them. I mean, this is also at the very same time showing God's heart for us, that this is not about what we show. It's about the internal and our pursuit of him, our relationship. He says, Be careful not to do all your good things in front of others and to be seen. If you do, you will have no reward from your Father in heaven. So when you give to the needy, do not announce it with trumpets, as the hypocrites do in the synagogues and on the streets, to be honored by others. Now, I love this, because Jesus is is dropping this bomb of what this looks like, and then he immediately calls out the Pharisees. He stops calling them Pharisees. He just calls them hypocrites, and it would have been very obvious to everyone there who they're talking about. This would have been an example. They would have seen it that day on their way to this spot where someone's one of these guys is standing out there. Look, look at me. I gave all this money to the poor. And like he's just making a big deal of it. He goes, truly, I tell you, they have received their reward in full. This has been a phenomenal moment. People are like, oh. And they're looking at him like, what are they saying? What do they react? He continues. He says, and when you pray, do not be like the hypocrites. No, he's not sitting there like a stand-up comment, like, the hypocrites, wink, wink. You know, like, no, he's like, I don't know. Anyway, he says, for they love to pray, standing in the synagogues and on the street corners to be seen by others. Truly, I tell you, they have received their reward in full. But when you pray, go into your room, close the door, and pray to your Father who is unseen. Then your Father who sees what is done in secret will reward you. And when you pray, do not keep babbling like the pagans. So he's going to the unreligious. He says, for they think they'll be heard because of their many words, these like repetitions and repetitions, just trying to get to these these gods or whoever it may be. Do not be like them, for your father knows what you need before you ask him. He's calling them to this relationship. He's like, this is when you pray, these things that we do, our fasting, our praying, our reading of scripture, how we love others, it's about how we love God. He's like, I'm calling you back to the relationships. But for those listening, they'd have been like, it, it, just so much to think about. It would have been shocking to hear all of this. And just the exposing the Pharisees on its own. And they would have been looking around, trying not to, like, what are they, what are they reacting? Or maybe they didn't have to look around because they would have taken the most prominent spot in the audience But they'd have been looking to see how they're reacting to this. The people Jesus was speaking to were worried most likely about the Pharisees, but Jesus, what they would think, but Jesus was not at all. He was worried about the people that he was speaking to in their hearts. And he was beginning to call them to what really mattered, who God really is. And this is why it's so important. But at the same time, these words are really hard to hear. And I think it's we have to acknowledge that. They're hard to hear and take in. And if we're honest, they stand in judgment of you. Just going back to the one where it says, do not murder if you're angry. A fascinating thing happened, and it was originally... The, the New Testament was originally written in Greek. And as scribes began to transcribe this over the years, and it was incredible work to keep the detail there, uh, some of the English translations, the scribes added, these, these brilliant scribes are like wrestling with this, and, but they added the words without cause. So it says anyone who is angry with his brother without cause will be subject to the judgment. They needed something. It was so hard for even them. Like, man, Jesus couldn't have really meant it that seriously, right? So you're angry without cause. Like, that seems a little drastic. It's got to be when, you know, like they didn't do anything and you just hit them. You know, like, like little boys will do. That's it, without cause. Like, it was hard even for those to really write that down. But the whole thing, what Jesus was showing them was that you cannot keep it. What the law does is just show us that we can't keep it. And he was coming to say that I've come to fulfill it in full, that it's going to be about me. He was the only one he could and he was coming to stand in our place to take that judgment for us so that we could then be brought back fully to God in relationship with Him. So He was calling us to this relationship, how the, all these things are to help us go to God, but we have trouble going to God because we've messed up. We don't fulfill that standard. No one can, not even the Pharisees. He just showed how, like, the fallacy of what they did. And so when you hear these hard words, it gives you two options. On the surface, we have two options. And one is this, is that you've got to go all in on the truth. So you've got to be a Pharisee and say, all right, I'm taking the challenge. We call it the Matthew 520 challenge unless you exceed these people. So I'm going to do it. I'm going to be really good. And so we've got a lot of people who... Claim to be Christians that are just bragging about how good they are. And, and so in that scenario, you've got to condemn other people. You're either going to be really cocky or you're going to be, you're going to be ashamed and dismayed. And, and you'll just be devastated because you can't keep it up. And so one option is you just, just proclaim how good you are. Go all into the truth. But you can't. And so you've got to hide those things and act like you don't do them. Or you're devastated because, no, you can't. Or the other way is just be like, I'm done. You reject it. You're like, I'm going to find my own way. Become your own version of good. And you define what fulfills you. And we do that. The two ways we go. But they're the same thing. They're the two sides of the same coin. Both are rejecting God. You're trying to show God that you can be better than him. You're not actually listening to what he said, or you're just rejecting him outright. What's interesting, neither fulfills. Both enslave you. Neither work. Both ways are rejecting God, rejecting Jesus. What's fascinating is the Pharisees hated Jesus. That's why they killed him. That's why they wanted to kill him. They just, like his words condemned them. They couldn't stand it. Both ways are walking away from God. When we try to fulfill our own selves, we, we ultimately can't do it. We're not satisfied. We're taking the things that God made for us and trying to make them be the Ultimate. So Jesus' words are offensive, but they're also true. And in the same exact moment, they're full of life. Because he was the only one who could fulfill it. And so that's why John said, in him was life, and that light was the light of all mankind. John goes on to say this. Just a couple verses later, he says, the true light that gives light to everyone was coming into the world, and he was in the world, and though the world was made through him, the world did not recognize him. He came to that which was his own, but his own did not receive him. So all these people rejected him, even though God was right there in front of him. He said, yet to all those who did receive him, those who believe in his name, he gave the right to become children of God. This is why we celebrate Jesus' sacrifice for us. He came to take our place. So that's why his death it was critical. It had to happen. Someone had to come and fulfill the law, and that meant that a penalty was to be made, and, and someone had to die. And so he did that for us. And so he has the death on this cross, but then his resurrection proved that he has authority over the grave, and he defeated death in the grave so that we could be forgiven in full. In that moment, Jesus became the law. He fulfilled all of its requirements. And so when we believe in him, it's met. We are forgiven by God because we take on his righteousness because he's been forgiven. God sees us. It's like a legal term. You know, you step in the courtroom, and and Jesus fulfilled all the debts that you owed, and you've been freed. When we become Christ followers, we believe in him, we are being forgiven of our sins, and you can be brought back into relationship with God. Hebrews 10 says it this way, And so, dear brothers and sisters, we can boldly enter heaven's most holy place because of the blood of Jesus. By his death, Jesus opened a new and life giving way through the curtain into the most holy place. So, those that knew the law, they had this ritual of bringing sacrifices to be forgiven of sins. They had a barrier. God created a physical barrier of a curtain between them and God. And when Jesus came by his death, he removed that barrier. It's gone. And so, it continues here. It says, By his death, Jesus opened a new and life giving way through the curtain into the most holy place. The barrier is gone. You've got a hall pass. And it's Jesus. He says, and since we, he continues, and since we have a great high priest who rules over God's house, let us go right into the presence of God with sincere hearts, fully trusting him. God made a way for us to go straight to God, and it's through Jesus. He removed the barrier It ends with this. It says, For our guilty consciences have been sprinkled with Christ's blood to make us clean, and our bodies have been washed with pure water. A couple years ago, Friends of Ours opened a new restaurant down in Washington Boulevard, and we heard about the grand opening, so we went there to celebrate with them. We were excited, and we showed up. We were hoping to get a seat. We didn't know how it would work. And we walked in. We are like, what's the wait? And the hostess was like, well, there's a lot of people here, and... We'll see if we can get you a seat. And we just wanted to support them. And while we're standing there, the owners, we were friends with them. We used to live on the same block. They saw us. They walked through, and they're like, hey, like, what are you doing? Like, we're trying to get a seat. I'm like, no, don't worry about that. Come upstairs. We have a party upstairs. And so we were invited, and we were like, Okay. And we went up and it was like, I don't think there actually, there might have been, there's like a rope, you know, somebody pulled it up and we went upstairs to the VIP section and it was free food, free everything and we just sat there and celebrated, they were blaring music and we were trying to pay for our dinner and the waitress was like, there's no charges. It's just this coolest experience, we love that, right? So we tipped huge, by the way. <laughs> but we go from like, well, maybe I can get in to I'm a VIP. Treated like a most honored guest. This is what God longs for you. He came to remove the barriers of religion. So our starting point with him is relationship. We can always go to him. Our starting point is we know that we're forgiven. You don't have to worry about that when you're a Christ follower. And so then he's not standing in judgment of you, but he's bringing you to life. His instructions, the things that we practice, the the, the acts of the Christian life are trusting God that these things that we do are the best way to live. And when you blow it, because you will, You stand upon Christ's righteousness because he's the only one who could. And you say, help me, Jesus, to walk away from this. And You're engaged in the relationship. You're not trying to do things to be okay, but you know that's been settled. You've got the pass. You've got the ticket. Go to God. That's our starting point. Are you a follower of Christ? That's our first decision. In the next couple of weeks, we're going to look at what it means to take those steps. Let's pray together. Father, we thank you. We, we, we thank you for these life-giving words that lead us to life, not to a thing we do. We hope it works, but something we know that's real. I pray that we would take steps to life this year. Thank you And ask all this in Jesus' name. Amen.